Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. It sits above the mantle on a Second Amendment Radio and the Great Outdoors. Oh, love this song. Granddaddy's Gun by Blake Shelton, who's leaving the voice everybody in the world should know by now. Uh, yeah, if you've never heard that song in, in its entirety, search that. Blake Shelton, Granddaddy's Gun. Good stuff. Nice. Uh, it, Why yeah, is he how leaving? Are you, buddy? I'm good. How are they're, you? They're all, they're all leaving. It's going to be a well, turnover of, like, Adam I Levine see. left, and he's the last original one. He yeah he's been there sixteen seasons or something like that something crazy, uh, and I always think you know because I got an old buddy that watches that show. Did, did you see the singers? Did you see the singers last night? No, I gave up on that 10, 15 years ago. I don't but watch it. When when do those artists that go through that show make it big? It's uh, rare that you see them pop. Not on the voice, and not even American Idol anymore. Yeah, no. I know. I know. It used to be Just churn and burn. And, but Anyways. Kelly Clarkson is now on the Voice. Oh well. That's confusing. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. So, uh, yeah, lots to uh, to get to for you here uh, this this weekend. We've got <laughs> gun experts. We've got people from the National Park Service to cover the outdoor portion of the show today. And I, I just have to say, uh, you know, looking at the list, because we're going to have a list of the most visited national parks in the country. And one thing Bo and I were talking about before the show came on is, what about the the arch grounds, right? The the mm-hmm. uh, expansion, uh, Jefferson National Memorial expansion. Eight tons of money put into it. I, true. Um, I I I have to wonder though because we have a problem in St. Louis with crime, and the 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 bigger problem is particularly after what happened with Janae Edmondson and and Ugh. the accident, that's drawn even more attention to it. And I know a lot of people stop at the arch grounds as they're passing through on their way to somewhere else. But I just wonder what kind of – I wonder if we could ever know what kind of real impact that's had on who doesn't come because they're afraid to park their car and get out and walk on the arch grounds. You know, here, here's a question, though. How many how many national parks are within a city limits? That would be a question, too, right? Because most of you think Grand Teton. You think, uh, where are you going, Glacier National? You, know, you think rural and you think outdoors in the sky – I mean, are there a lot of national parks within city limits, like here in St. Louis? I don't I, know. I would imagine not. Um, yeah. Most of them are, are too big. But, you know, right. it's something to think about. It wasn't it two years ago we had it, wasn't it a St. Louis Blues prospect was robbed on the arts grounds? Yes. 
Yeah. So it's not and, immune. I mean, they have their own rangers and everything, but they, they you can't keep it from encroaching upon it. And I, I we. Uh, I just it's we, we can ask Kathy Cupper. We we got uh, public affairs specials from the National Park Service joining us in the uh, next segment. Uh, What's looking, sad is they just dumped a bunch of money into it. I haven't even been to the new arch grounds, yeah, and, and I, not for any reason. But I just you know we take it for granted when it's that close. But it's like it's so beautiful. They they did it. They finished the grounds. It's awesome. <laughs> but when's the last time you were there? Boy, it's probably been a couple of years. Actually, I've wow. been—I was on the grounds more recently because I went down to meet some friends down there and record a little segment for somebody who was retiring. But in terms oh. of actually visiting the 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 museum or going up in the arch, it's been probably four or five years, I would guess. Yeah, it's yeah. a reality. I, I bet Yellowstone is uh, on the list of top ten in the in the nation because uh, the TV oh. show. Don't you think? It's probably helped. John Dutton. That's probably helped. Seriously. And you're not seeing anything like the Dutton Ranch when you're out there. I mean, you're basically driving through, seeing the the outstanding wildlife and getting in long lines of traffic where the <laughs> where the buffalo, the bison uh, block the road where you can't get through. I mean, it's that's the power the of suggestion. Thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's advertisement because uh, look at Urban Cowboy way back in the day in the 80s. How many cowboy hats and boots did they sell? You know what? My buddy owns Chuck's Boots in uh, St. Peter's and Fenton. He said we've absolutely had an increase in sales of people that are fans of the show. Yeah. It's crazy. Mm. And probably lever-action rifles because that's what they all carry in their scabbards, right? <laughs> yeah. Everybody yeah. wants their their lever-action uh, 30-30 or forty-five seventy or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> just to be, oh just to be prepared yeah it's fun but but uh yeah that's i've got some questions for the lady we're going to talk to because we are going to glacier this year uh, in fact we got a bunch of family members going my brother-in-law is going and his wife and my nephews and my son is going to come out with a friend of his we're going to have a whole horde of people out there wow uh, and you have to plan these things out. I mean, honestly, you, you've you heard me say it before, but if you're planning to go to Zion or one of these national parks, don't think you can just hop in the car and go. Some of them, like Glacier, not all of them, but some of them have, they limit the number of people that can get in each day. You have to have a, you have to have a car pass or you have to be in the park before 6 a.m. So... You can still get in, potentially, if you don't have that pass to drive across the Sun Road, uh, but you right. have to go really early, so it takes a little bit of planning. And if you want to camp, you've got to get on a waiting list, in some cases, to try to find campsites. So it does take some planning this year, and I want to talk to her about maybe how that's changed through uh, through COVID. And and with your big group that's going out uh, out west this year, um, did you inspire them to get into the RV lifestyle or did they inspire you? No, we, we inspired them. And in fact, their plan is to fly out there and then rent one once they get there because oh, wow. they don't own one. So it's not a matter of them having one. They can hook up to a, a truck and pull out there. So that, that's a big business too. And, and oh, it's certainly huge. during COVID those, uh, RV, those rental RVs became hard to find. Because everybody wanted to do it, rental cars. You know they're not, hard to find. They're, and they're they're not cheap to rent, but you're still not paying for the whole RV, right? Um, you know, MB MB Thomas has done. Uh, you know, I, I rented a couple of years ago from them. 
and it's expensive. It's three, $400 a day sometimes, depending on what you're getting, but at least you don't have it sitting in your driveway or you're not paying rent at a, a, an RV storage place, which by the way, my wife and I observe this all the time. There are RV storage places all over. Everywhere. That's a huge business. Well, it's become bigger since COVID. And I told you when I got my um, second, when I got my first camper right in the middle of COVID, I could not find, like, I drew a circle. I didn't want to drive 60 miles to store my camper. So I, right. drew, I drew a circle in the in the immediate area that I was interested in, and I started calling storage unit areas, in, and I wanted outdoor parking. I wasn't even looking for something covered, and they were all full. I, I could wow. not find one within a reasonable driving distance that I wanted to, to drive my camper to where I felt they had the security and all that. I, I couldn't find a spot. And finally, a friend reached out and said, "Hey, we've got we've got a little room and a small barn we have for your little camper. You can put it in nice. there." So that worked out really well for me. So, <laughs> so great to have friends like that, yeah, isn't it? I it mean, is. it, it just is uh, because a lot of people don't. You know, they're at the RV place and they're the dealership, and they're like, "Okay, this is the one they're going to get," not even thinking <laughs> about what they're going to do with it when they you know finish that trip. Yeah, because you're not using it. 90% of the time, you know, unless you're living in it and traveling all over the country, you're just not using it. Uh, and and I think of, you know, people that, uh, you know, have to deal with critter damage if they're sitting out in a field or something like that. That's another issue. Uh, and and it's it's got to be expensive to, to use one of these RV uh, rental spots, I would think. hundred bucks a month? Uh, if indoor storage, probably. Less than that for yeah. outdoor storage. But oh, okay. maybe, That's not maybe 50, 60. Depends on how big the camper is and and all that stuff and how much sure, security sure. they provide and everything so you better do uh, yeah. buy your own piece of property out in the woods and just park <laughs> it there all you've wanted to know about visiting national parks the number of people that they set records a few years ago um and the most popular ones is coming up here in just a couple of minutes we will uh, phone in to kathy cupper who's a public affairs specialist with the national park service i'm gonna see if she'll give me any insight on grabbing me a campsite at glacier this Ooh. summer that's the hookup right there. Maybe Ooh, not. Pun intended. Not on the air? Maybe off the air? <laughs> oh, yeah. Maybe I'll call her off the air. I'm just kidding. That, Are you? Did, did you miss my pun? <laughs> the hookup. I got it. That was nice. <laughs> okay. Very nice, Bo Matthews. I was too busy looking at Carl. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. We're going to get to all that and more coming up on Second Amendment Radio in the Great Outdoors. Granddaddy's gone. Sits above the mantel on a couple rusty nails, and it's worth a bunch of money, but it damn sure ain't for sale. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. 
Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Outdoors in here with Bo Matthews and Carl Middleman. I'm Mark Cox. And, uh, happy that you're with us today. You know, I have to ask this, Bo. When's the last time you went to the Arch? Oh my, uh, pff, too long. I haven't been to the new grounds. We take it, and for, that's been how long? We take it for granted, right? I, I do. I right used here. to work in the Channel Four building, which is directly across the street, and I used to go down there and walk for exercise after my morning show. But it has. It's been a while when you got a when you got a, a gym like that right around the corner and you just kind of take it for granted, which is a shame. We're talking about national parks and the National Park Service and places uh, around the country that are popular and growing in popularity. And we've got Kathy Cupper with us today, public affairs specialist with the Park Service. Kathy, welcome into the program. Good morning. Great to be with you. Yeah, it's great to have you. You know, I I, I mentioned that because we're going to talk in a little while about the most visited uh, United States parks. But before we get to that list, and I'm I I guess the Arch Grounds is going to be on there somewhere, right? Um, that we need to talk about visitation numbers overall. Were were they down last year, just out of interest coming out of COVID? Well. Actually, last year, there were about 312 million visitors to all the national parks throughout the country. So that's a a slight increase, about a 5% increase over the year before. And so we're beginning to approach pre-COVID numbers. Um, The the top years for national parks were when we were celebrating our centennial, our 100th anniversary, in 2016-2017. So they were the record years of about 331 million. Uh, Just prior to COVID, we had about... Uh, 327. And so, uh, again, we're beginning to move up towards uh, that figure. It is cool to hear some of these uh, some of these facts about uh, national parks because it is a true treasure. I don't know, uh, Kathy, I don't know any other country on the planet that has a national park system like the U.S. does. And there's so many great benefits. And I believe that those numbers are going to start to increase because we saw the influx of uh, the, you know, the RV and the camping world during COVID. People wanted to get outside and get fresh air. Do you think that contributes to the building numbers? Yes, it certainly does. And just to back up for a second, I mean, the Yellowstone National Park was the world's first national park. And so the idea started in the United States. And as I mentioned, our park system is over 100 years old. So there are national park systems throughout the world. But um, we were the first with the idea to really open up public land for people to enjoy, not set aside for maybe a privileged view to enjoy the the beautiful landscapes. And so uh, the idea has caught on around the world and there are great national parks. Uh, all over the yeah. globe, but of course we are very proud of the, the 424 <laughs> national parks in the United States. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm, and then go, oh, ahead. go ahead. No, please go ahead. Oh, sorry. Uh, and I was going to mention when you talk about RVs, the overnight stays in national parks uh, were very similar to what they were pre-COVID. So, um, although the overall number is down a little bit, the people that are actually going longer and staying overnight are about the, the same as pre-COVID. So, I think, like you mentioned. Um, the pandemic really gave people that opportunity or incentive to get out and enjoy nature, maybe explore places they didn't know about or hadn't been before. 
and uh, get out and get some exercise and, and enjoy the great outdoors. Yeah, I'm, I'm one of them, Kathy. I, I just have to tell you, we, we got a camper during covid and we have now upgraded it already, um, and and we've we've we're going to go to Glacier again this year. Uh, the reason that I was of the mistaken belief that uh, attendance must have gone up during COVID is that, for example, the number of visitors allowed into the park at Glacier they started limiting that. You had to get a pass to get in to drive across the going to the Sun Road and all that. Uh, my assumption was that was because the number of visitors had increased so much they had to somehow limit access a little bit. Is that is that wrong? No, it's just um, when we look at the overall numbers for the National Park Service, it includes a lot of historic sites, so um, buildings that you'd have to enter that were closed during COVID. Okay. So some of them are just in the stages now of reopening uh, to normal hours, and so that's why you might see that, that drop overall. But as you mentioned, right, a lot of the wide open natural areas did see increases. Um, some were closed, of course, the, the first month or two of the pandemic. Um, and then as they opened up, they did receive, uh, you know, large numbers of visitors. So, yes, many of those places where you could get outside and, and hike and enjoy the outdoors um, saw bumps in visitation during COVID. So I need you to give me a little inside baseball here. See if you, see if you can shed any light on this for me. Um, my, my wife and I, are we, we have been diligent about this because we're going to Glacier in July, and we have been trying to get campsites uh, in Mini Glacier and, and a couple of the campsites, Apgar, inside of the park. And I cannot believe how competitive that is. Like, we're told that at at 9 a.m. Eastern Time or 9 a.m. Central Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time, six months out from the day you want to go, you can log on to recreation.gov and you can try to secure a campsite. And we've been... We've been beaten repeatedly in our attempts to to secure one of those sites. I I don't I don't know what the trick is, but is there a trick or is it just you got to be lucky? Well, now you know Kathy Cupper, so that might help. Well, yeah, now I now I got somebody on the inside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you're doing it right. I mean, the thing is to set up your rec.gov account so you have your passwords, you're all set to go, and so when that time frame opens up, you can start hitting and and try to get that spot. Um, they are very popular. The park does have some first come first serve campsites as well or campgrounds so that uh, those that can't get reservations can, um, you know, enter the park and have the option that way. There are also other public lands around Glacier that you might be able to get spots at, you know, maybe uh, nearby national forests or other uh, state park recreation area that might have campsites available. Um, if you do obtain lodging, whether in one of the lodges in Glacier or obviously with your RV in a campsite, um, that does mean that you don't need to get the other reservation to enter the park uh, in the summer months. Yeah, you get a pass. Mm-hmm. You get you get your pass. So yeah, yeah that's a good thing. Thank you. Wow. Sure. Or you're going to park it at Walmart, the, the nearest Walmart <laughs> to the national park. Uh, it seems like it's easier to get Taylor Swift tickets than to get a spot. Um, so I, I always want to ask. You know, in every line of uh, work out there, from fast food to medical to law enforcement, everybody's having a tough time hiring. Uh, do the national parks have a tough time hiring, or is there a need there? And if so, uh, what information can we put out for our listeners that, heck, they may want to be interested in uh, applying? Sure. We encourage anybody who's interested to apply. The jobs are posted on usajobs.gov. 
And so if you go there, it'll list all the, the National Park Service jobs. Also, there's um, concessions, hotels, bookstores. So partners of the Park Service that also hire. So anything from, you know, driving a bus to operating a bookstore to being a waiter or waitress. So, it, you know, it's a great way to spend a summer or look for a career opportunity. So um, there are many job opportunities available. Uh, it's always been pretty competitive to become a park ranger, but certainly, you know, it's, it's worth looking into it and applying. Um, you know, we get many people through the years who come to the park service as sort of a second career or even in retirement come or people that work in the summer that have maybe our teachers or other jobs throughout the year. And then they come and, and they work in the summer for the national park right. service. Yeah. Um, I'd say that the difficulty in hiring right now in some parks is just if they're more remote um, is housing because of the influx of people now renting their homes or, or you know, people. Um, sometimes it's hard for some uh, somebody who's a seasonal to find housing because the, the rents have gone up now in nearby locations. And so we're working on that, trying to obtain more housing so that if you're able to come and work in one of their remote parks, um, you know, you'll have housing as part of the um, the yeah. job opportunity. And, and I'll just have to say, as I mentioned, we've, we've been to Glacier twice in recent years. We're going again this year. The, the park service employees, that the rangers that you meet in the park, just couldn't be any nicer. And they're so patient because they must be asked the same question a thousand times a day. Uh, we'll see them along the side of the road trying to save tourists from themselves when they're watching bears. Uh, you know, they, I, they just they, they you have to have a certain breed of person who wants to do that job, and they do a great job. I'll just I'll just say that. Yeah, we love it, and you know we're passionate about you know the history or the nature, and love sharing that. And so I mean, there's nothing better than having somebody have maybe what you might call the light bulb moment or the aha when you can explain, you know, what type of tree that is or why this animal acts that way or the significance of this building and people can, you know, see it and, and experience it through multiple senses and, and really become it connected to their national park. So, I mean, that thrills, you know, all of us in the National Park Service. Kathy Cupper is our guest, public affairs specialist with the National Park Service. Okay, so we have to know, uh, we are based out of St. Louis, um, although the app takes our show everywhere. Uh, did St. Louis and uh, the Gateway uh, National Monument, the Arch, did it make the top 10? It did not make the top 10. Oh. But, um, <laughs> but there's about 1.6 million people a year who went to the Gateway Arch last year. Um, you have another National Park Service site in the state, Ozark, National Scenic Riverways, that had 1.3 million. So they are definitely among the more popular national parks throughout the country. <laughs> no doubt. So let's let's go down the uh, the top ten. I have to tell you, I was shocked, n- n- not surprised at what the number one was, but how far and away n- the number one was in terms of visitation numbers, Kathy. Yeah, so the most visited national park in the country is the Blue Ridge Parkway, and they had about 15.7 million visitors. Um, The third most visited is Great Smoky Mountains National Park, which is adjacent to the Blue Ridge Parkway, and they had almost 13 million. So uh, when you look at parks like that that are large and the Blue Ridge Parkway is linear and they're, you know, on the East Coast where there's large population centers, so... Uh, you, you know, you can see that they're perfect for weather 
you want to do a destination vacation and really spend a week, you know, in nature, or if you just have an afternoon or a weekend and you want to get away and experience the outdoors. So you'll see most of the most visited national parks are kind of that idea. They're near large population centers and um, have large outdoor spaces. Yeah. And so so run down the rest then after that, because the drop off is pretty significant. Zion was what, number two on that list or three? Um, Well, so, yes, when you look at national parks, so um, in the National Park Service, we have 424 what we call national parks, small and small piece. So they include recreation areas, parkways, seashores, lakeshores. Out of the 424, there are 63 designated as national parks. And so um, the most visited of the national parks is uh, Great Smoky Mountains. And then after that, you have the Grand Canyon and then Zion. Oh, wow. And and the drop-off is 15 million, and then the next one is in the 5 million range, right? <laughs> yes, when you're looking at the national parks. So, um, for instance, Great Smoky Mountains is 13 million, and then Grand Canyon is 4.7 million. Wow. And then uh, what? just hit the rest of the top 10 for us. Do you have them in front of you? Uh, well, so then you have Zion, uh, Rocky Mountain, Acadia in Maine, Yosemite, um, Yellowstone, Joshua oh, yeah. Tree, uh, Cuyahoga Valley in Ohio, Glacier. There you go. Glacier yeah. is uh, number 31 overall, but, you know, up in the top 10 for national park sites. Yeah, uh, then Grand Teton and, and Hot Springs, Olympic, and on and on. Don't tell those of us who are trying to get reservations that it's number 31, because it seems like number one <laughs> to me. I, I, I'm just saying. Uh, Kathy Cooper, listen, uh, thank you so much uh, for your time. Is is there, is there a good website you direct people to for more information on uh, the national parks and, and how to how to explore them? Yes, for sure. Visit nps.gov, That's the, and it will have details about every national park. We always say start your visit to a national park at nps.gov, and we also have the NPS app, uh, which can help guide you and tell you everything you want to know, things to do, things to see. If you need a reservation, uh, you know, help you plan that great, enjoyable, safe visit to a national yeah, park. I'm calling Kathy Cupper. I don't know about everybody else, but uh, no, I'm, I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> Kathy, do you, do you happen to have a website for Taylor Swift tickets? I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Keep up the great work. You explained it really well. We really appreciate you joining us on Second Amendment Radio and the Great Outdoors. Thanks for having us. Take care. All right. All right. Thank you. Good luck with record-breaking numbers. Man, it's going to be crazy. People are just coming out of hibernation. All right. It seems like President Biden is seeking more gun background checks with a new executive action. What? We're going to talk about that coming up next on Second Amendment Radio and the Great Outdoors. Stay right there. Second Amendment Radio and the Great Outdoors. I'm Bo Matthews along with Mark Cox and our executive producer gets credit on the show as well. Carl Middleman is Hi. here. This, uh, 
this segment is brought to you. Yeah, you only get one pew pew per show. That's right. Um, we are uh, brought to you by, this segment is brought to you by Razorback Armory. They are arming America. If you are looking for knowledge, accessories, customization, go to RazorbackArmory.com, get their address, and then head to, or just go into Google Maps and just say, take me to Razorback Armory. It's right on Manchester Road, a half mile east of 270. You're going to love the guys. You're going to love the store. Razorback Armory. Tell them Bo sent you in. One thing we talk about on here a lot, Bo, is the fact that <clears throat> the, our Second Amendment rights are constantly uh, being attacked. And sometimes yeah. they're being attacked in the courts. Uh, sometimes they're being attacked with a pen and a signature on a piece of paper called an executive order. The president announced some new executive actions last week, and we wanted to know what's the real impact of that. I mean, he's talking about creating universal background checks without doing it through Congress. Is wow. that even possible? I, I don't think so. But we decided we were going to ask the armed attorneys, one of whom is a Richard Hayes, an attorney and a gun expert, and he's joining us this morning. Richard, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Mark. Thanks, Bill. Great to talk to you all. Absolutely. And you, you get the nickname Armed Attorneys from your YouTube channel, right? That's right. Yes, I'm a co-host with my law partner, Emily Taylor, covering, you know, 2A News, Second Amendment Simplified, and kind of self-defense practical, you know, frequently asked questions. Because if the only thing you know is the law, then you're in big trouble. Boy, that is well said. And, you know, I'm, I'm talking about this story with the president and him trying to encourage more universal background checks through executive action. Um, I, I, I'm not quite sure how he's going to accomplish that. Have, have you looked at this at all? Yeah, so the the emphasis seems to be, and this is on the heels of the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act, and what they're looking at is redefining what constitutes someone who's engaging in the business and dealing in firearms. And so the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act took us a huge leap forward in that direction to try to eliminate private firearms transfers, whether that's between family members or friends, um, or just private sellers, and what they're trying to do is to force everybody to go through these gun stores. And it's kind of a three-step process we see here, because first, they're forcing everyone to go to the gun stores in order to get these background checks to facilitate the transfers of firearms. These gun stores are not allowed to destroy these records. They have to keep these firearms transaction records forever. And then the federal government is coming in on the back end and running these stores out of business. And when they do that, they have to turn over their records to the federal government, therefore facilitating the construction of a federal gun registry. So it's a really dangerous step in the wrong direction. And we've been saying slippery slope for a long time. Um, we're sliding down the slope right now. Wow. And those documents, would you agree, Richard, are uh, artifacts that can be reached back to and put into a database uh, if they do, if the left does get their way on gun control. And uh, no question about the term gun control is truly about control. Uh, when you when you think about other countries that have gone this way, it's never ended well. So we need to do everything that we can to, to uphold our Second Amendment. But those artifact documents, uh, they, they go into a database for future reference, kind of like uh, law enforcement used to collect DNA, you know, 40 years ago before the technology was around. Yeah, exactly right. And if we look at history, we look at the precursor to confiscation is always registration. They don't know who to take the guns from unless and, and they can't take guns from folks until they know who has them. And so we look at other countries, we look at registration, and we see where it leads, and we have to be opposed to that. 
Yeah, let's talk for a moment uh, from your legal perspective. Again, we're talking to Richard Hayes, uh, one of the armed attorneys on the YouTube channel, and he's also with Walker and Taylor, a full-service criminal and civil defense attorney firm in Houston. Let's talk about the Bruin case. I was hopeful when that happened that it would immediately cause lawsuits, trigger lawsuits around the country. I think that that's happened, but the 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 um, court system churns slowly. I, you know, I keep waiting for them to to come out and rule against this New York law or that California law, or maybe the the fact that you have to have a firearm owner ID card in the state of Illinois next to us over here across the river. Um, but the, none of those things have happened yet. I mean, why is the reaction to this taking so long? Well, it, it's it's we got to take the good with the bad. The good we got this incredible standard by which we judge Second Amendment infringements that came out of the case. The bad when courts are evaluating an issue, they have to limit themselves to the issue that's directly in front of them at the time that they're ruling. You know, they can't reach outside of the case and pick up new facts that they maybe want to evaluate. And so, as a result, what that means is, and and what I would compare this to, is the reaction to some governments. Uh, in response to the civil, you know, the civil rights movement, you know, because we have this narrowly tailored decision to this specific issue, the licensing issue in New York, we see all of these jurisdictions going haywire, trying to pass all these different laws that would just skirt around or be nuanced or just be differentiated slightly than the New York case. But, and where I'm hopeful, and this is why I compare it to the civil rights movement, it took a, about a decade for, for things to get sorted out. But when everything, when the dust settled, the landscape is much better off than we were before. And so I'm hopeful that, you know, it, it does move slowly. And, you know, believe you me, if I could flip a switch, I would I would definitely have all this stuff resolved tomorrow. But I'm very hopeful in the next decade when all the, when all the dust settles, I think we're going to be on the right side of all this. That's good. Wow. Love that positive uh, attitude about it, uh, Richard Hayes. Thank you for uh, putting that out there because there's a lot of people that are, you know, just really uh, – you know, bummed out about the way things are going, and you're giving us a little hope here. You know, I, I've always said, you know, why don't we start with the criminals with the the illegal guns? Uh, show us that you can do something with that before we start talking about background checks for law-abiding citizens, because it's getting nuts. I mean, uh, there's been people that have moved. I, I personally know people that have moved out of uh, the state of Illinois, which is just across the river, but it's because they're coming down so hard on the, the gun laws over there. Yeah, it's very sad because, and we see this trend, and it, it's, it creates this incredible question about how we deal with these repeat violent offenders in these big cities, these overwhelmed judicial systems. But what I find as a criminal practitioner, I mean, the people who have the most to lose are the law-abiding. And it's this, this question, the law, and I don't know how we fix it. I mean, I, we debate this in our law firm every day. You know, how do we find a solution that, you know, unfortunately, the system treats these 25 to life, you know, gang members, repeat offenders, they treat them the same as law abiding folks who act in self-defense. And maybe they made, you know, a rush or they were scared and they made an unreasonable decision in the heat of the moment. And so how do we find a solution that punishes those that deserve to be punished, but takes into account, you know, folks whenever they're actually defending themselves? Um, it's tough, but we see these rogue DAs in big cities going hard after after law abi- the law abiding, and especially when it comes to gun owners, because they have everything to lose. Well, Richard, you know, I'm sure you saw the unfortunate case in in Colorado this week, where the a student went into a school and shot two administrators and ended up taking his own life. You know, I host a morning 
radio show here, and the 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 day after that happened, the first stories I saw were were the politicians that lined up in Colorado to blame it on the gun violence issue. That that was each one of them said we we must do something about the scourge of gun violence in America. Um, but as you read the article in the Denver Post about what happened, when you finally get down to about the eleventh paragraph. You realize this kid was a very troubled individual. So troubled, in fact, he'd been kicked out of another high school and was allowed to go to this high school only if he could be patted down and searched every morning as he entered the school so they could make sure he wasn't carrying a weapon. That's a mental health issue that that they ignored, and they let the kid come to school there anyway. My question would be, why was he ever even allowed to step foot in that school if they were that worried about him, and yet the politicians are going to try to turn this into a gun issue. Yeah, it's that's about as extreme of an example as you can get where they have correctly identified a threat and chose to do nothing. If, if, if there isn't an example, I mean, if you know someone is so dangerous that you have to search them every single day, uh, I, I can't think of a more invasive law and it didn't solve the problem. I mean, I, I think on the other hand, there they softened the schools. They took school resource officers out of the schools. Well, we see that didn't work either. Um, and so I hope people, I don't know why they leave their common sense at the door. We have to make our schools hard targets. We cannot put our most precious, um, our most precious assets in our country, our children, in these places that are that are shooting galleries. I mean. I will, criminals respond to incentives, and if they know that they're not going to encounter armed resistance when they go to a place, they're more likely to select that as a target than a place where they think that they might encounter, you know, armed resistance. And so, of course, I, I don't know why these folks don't use their common sense. I mean, that's really what it is. It's ironic you use that term. Uh, common sense, because that's exactly the words that uh, Joe Biden used. Uh, it's just common sense. Uh, he signed as he signed the new executive action expanding gun background checks. It's just it's just common sense. Well, somebody doesn't have common sense in this conversation. Uh, Richard, uh, just curious at your law firm, not that you want to talk about specifics, but uh, uh, did Mark McCloskey ever uh, call you up to defend him? <laughs> Can't release client information, uh, but, oh, I, okay. we did, we, but I will tell you, we uh, we did author a bill that would have prevented what happened to the McCloskeys you know, happened to them in Missouri to prevent that from happening in Texas. And right now we have the Texas legislature's in session. Um, you know, we see it, that they're a perfect example. Everything to lose, hard on the paint, DA wanting to make an example. I mean, yeah. I'll tell you, criminals pick up on this stuff. Sure. Sure they do. So, yeah. uh, so in your in your firm, uh, what type of cases are you dealing with mostly if it's, if it's Second Amendment related? So we handle almost exclusively self-defense cases. Gotcha. And so okay, good. the most common self-defense cases we see out there, I mean, this isn't uh, very exciting, but we see a lot of road rage cases, a lot of neighbor disputes. We see a lot of people getting robbed. Uh, we oh, see yeah. a lot of uh, people getting attacked by animals. I mean, when you train, you, it's the same thing for, like, emergency preparedness. you got to prepare for the most likely scenarios that you would find yourself in. You live in the coast, prepare for a hurricane. You, you know, sure. you live in the mountains, prepare for a blizzard. You know, those are the most common scenarios that we see in our practice. Yeah, I, I wonder about that. You know, I, I I don't know if you have an opinion on this or not. Uh, I don't know if it's something that you guys offer or not. But I know that there are um, 
in, in there are companies out there that will offer you insurance as a concealed carry holder. And often what that, some of those come with free legal advice if you're on the scene of a shooting. Do you have any opinion on those? Maybe what's what's best and what's not? Ooh, good question. Yeah, so we, we work closely with one such organization that Texas uh, rules on ethics kind of prevent us from talking about it. Okay. I will say they're, they, you know, do your research. They're not all created equally. Um, and and there are, there are ones out there that do what they say that they do. Okay. And so if you're a consumer... Go do your research. Pick the one that you think fits fits your needs. Uh, but having immediate access to an attorney following a critical incident is absolutely crucial. And you know, for your for your audience, you know, let's say you, you know, just like you go to the range, you prepare, you know, to get on target. You have to think about these scenarios, the legal aftermath. Should you find yourself in a defensive scenario, because the time to be looking up a lawyer on Google or flipping through the yellow pages. Isn't at three in the morning when your ears are ringing and your lights, eyes are adjusting to the flash of your muzzle. I mean, that's not the right time to come up with a plan to find a lawyer. So you need to think about these things in advance. And just knowing who to call, I mean, that's 80% of the battle. That's 80% of the battle. But um, planning, you know, how are you going to talk to 911? What are you going to do when the police show up and talk to you on scene? What happens if they keep asking you the same questions over and over again? You know, you need to think these things through because there are right and wrong answers. Yeah, very true. Uh, that's Richard Hayes, a Houston-based attorney with the Walker and Taylor, and also a member of the Armed Attorneys uh, Show on YouTube. Richard, listen, we appreciate your sound advice this morning. Thank you. Absolutely. Happy to talk to you all anytime. You all have a great day. Yes, sir. Uh, good Good to get him on here. Some good advice there, Bo. You know, I don't know. I, I looked at, um, I think I was a member of the U.S. Concealed Carry Association for a while. Uh, mm-hmm. And then there's another one that offers insurance to cover you if you're sued, but doesn't necessarily offer legal uh, 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 access. Is what, sure, is what sure. So I, I think that's something that if somebody carries, that they have to look at. You have to you have to consider that at least. It's an expense, yes, but how much you know if you shoot somebody and and it's not a fatal shooting, or even if it is, you're going to end up facing uh, civil suits at some point absolutely you know it's interesting because the first time i did the uh, ccw training uh i remember the guy saying okay it's not it, it's not so much the importance of what happened when you shot them it's hap- it's what happened moments before yes have you ever heard that before yeah, absolutely and it's it's that's why i just suggest everybody take that concealed carry training whether they they prefer constitutional carry or not uh, some good advice there, I think. All right, that's yep. going to do it uh, for this edition of Second Amendment Radio and the Great Outdoors. Flies by when you're having fun. Right, Bo Matthews? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Have a great rest of your weekend. Thanks for listening, and share the show, please. See you, boys. Get more at 971talk.com. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.